And if you were here last week, um, you saw him open up the scriptures and we kicked off a series in the book of the Bible called Exodus. And one of the things Pastor Dave did that was so helpful um, is he uh, introduced us to this epic journey and allowed us to see um, that God was drawing his people out of slavery. He was drawing his people out of bondage so that they could go to Canaan. So they could be going to the promised land. The whole series is called From um, Slavery to Sinai. And one of the things that Mount Sinai, and one of the things that um, this um, that was very helpful for me last week was identifying that with my own journey, how God is constantly drawing me out. Um, He's drawing me out from sin and brokenness, and he's drawing me to his purposes. He's drawing me to the life that he has for me. And our prayer, I think, for this whole series is that you would begin to identify yourself as someone that is on an Exodus journey personally, that this wouldn't just be um, like watching the Lord of the Rings and you see an epic movie play out and it's very entertaining to see the Bible people and they kill each other and there's cool stuff that happens and all this stuff, but that you would see yourself in this journey and you would ask yourself, what does God want to reveal to your heart? How can the Spirit of God change your heart as you are on your Exodus, as God is constantly, continually, all of us drawing us out so that he can draw us in to a personal in more intimate, close, sending relationship uh, with him. And as we look at the series, we're in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, so you can flip there with me if you want to. Uh, And uh, in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, there's a very familiar account that we're going to read. It's very popular. A lot of people um, who have gone to a Sunday school class years ago may have heard this story uh, before. And um, we're going to kind of highlight that, see what principles God wants to teach our heart uh, here this morning. And um, you see in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, you see um, God calling Moses. God calling Moses, kind of giving him a picture of what he expected him to do, what he was going to ask him to do. And Moses is pretty resistant to that, we're going to find out. And uh, God reveals some pretty cool things in the next two chapters that I believe can provide incredible hope and confidence to your heart uh, here this morning, which is important because if we're honest with ourselves, if we're really honest, every single one of us probably does not feel very extraordinary, right? We probably feel pretty normal, right? We, we start off our life and we're young and you have like your kindergarten teacher that tells you you can be anything you want to be, right? And everybody's like, I want to be an astronaut or the president, right? Everybody wants to be the president, which by the way, if you wanted to be the president in kindergarten, this past year was your year to try, all right? You missed it. That was, that was your window, all right? So, so uh, it's, it's going to be tough going forward, all right? So anyways... Um, so you uh, were told when you were young, you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, and then as you get older, you start to experience the realities and the rejections of life, right? You have the coach that cuts you from the team, you have the girl that rejects you asking her out on a date, and she says, no, I'm not into you, I don't want to go on a date. You get the college rejection letter. Um, you have all this rejection that you experience in life that reminds you you're really not that special, right? And if we're all honest, we all 
don't really feel super significant and super special. We don't feel like we're the most gifted person in the world. We don't feel like we're very confident in the abilities that we have. Um, We don't feel super smart. I remember, I still remember the first time that I was ever personally rejected, all right? I feel like now we're in like the the third or fourth date, all right? So now I can be emotionally available and it's like, okay, all right? So, um, and I remember the first time I was rejected, I was 11 years old. I was 11 years old, and uh, I uh, was trying out for Little League for the first time. I never played baseball before. I skipped t-ball, never did that. And I, one day, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, I want to play baseball. He said, all right, cool, let's sign you up. So he signed me up, and we went to the tryout, and I tried out for uh, Little League baseball when I was 11 years old. And... Uh, it just so happened that the week before I had fallen or done something and actually broke my finger in my left hand. And uh, I went to the tryout and the problem um, with that injury and me using the glove is that every time I tried to catch the ball, I couldn't squeeze the glove and it would just fall out and hit the ground. So I was the kid that was running around during the tryout that was just literally swatting the ball with my glove. Didn't catch one ball the entire tryout, right? And I did not get picked, right? I was like, I was the guy in Little League that didn't even make it, right? And that's me right there. I mean, I know it's hard to believe, but that guy didn't get picked, all right? Um, so I know she's looking at her face, and she's, that girl right there, she's like, she's like, oh my goodness, super nerd, right? I don't know if you can, you probably can't even see it because it's not super um, up close, but actually I'm wearing a calculator watch, just saying, all right? There's a calculator watch on my wrist, while playing baseball, okay, um, enough said, all right, and, and I, didn't, I didn't make it, actually, I made it all the way to the end, no one had picked me up, I wasn't good enough, um, usually you have, like, the guys that, you know, the, the, the coaches that take it way too seriously, and they draft, like, the, the triplet brothers that are all on steroids at 12 years old, right, so that they can go to the Little League World Series, um, I didn't get picked, but just so happened that the last pick, the very last pick, a coach picked me, um, and it just so happened that that particular coach was a board member on the board of my dad's church that he was at, all right? So I probably wouldn't even got picked at all if he didn't do a favor to my dad because he was on the board of the church that my dad was currently pastoring. But all of us experience rejection, right? Over and over and over again as we live out life, you have somebody that will remind you that you're really not that special. And when we look at scripture, we can look at all the stories of these people. We can read about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them. And we can think that like Noah was amazing. Um, We can think that all of these characters in scripture were these superhuman people. But the more you get into the story and the more that you see them, you realize They had incredible things in their life that unqualified them, that they were not qualified. They didn't have the giftings. They made mistakes in their past. Um, There's murderers. There's addicts. There's prostitutes. There's so many people that you would look at and you go, God can never use them. And it's almost actually comical to see the way God calls people and uses them. And I think he does it that way because when he actually works through them, um, he gets all the credit for that. And we see this this moment here. When, um, when God calls Moses, in fact, the big idea today, the really simple, is that God graciously uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. God graciously uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. 
first thing we're going to talk about is I just want to highlight that God's calling on your life and God's ability to use you is based on his character, not your capability, right? It's built based on his character, not your capability. And the first thing we have to do is we have to recognize and look to God and see who is God telling us he is. And in verse 1 through 6 in Exodus chapter 3, God does this. This is the very familiar scene where Moses is out in the wilderness. He's been there for a really long time. I think it's about 40 years. And he suddenly sees a bush that's on fire and not being consumed. It's that, that narrative. And we're going to pick it up here in verse 3. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burning, all right? So that's the, Moses like, hey, I see a tree, it's on fire, but yet it's not really going anywhere. It's just really hot and it's not burning, right? So this is unique. So I'm going to stop and take a look at it, all right? It's really interesting that they say that. Like, it's like his thoughts. Verse four, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So this first encounter that we see here, that God displays his character, he says his name, he reveals himself in this really grand way. The first thing God shows us is that he is supremely above us. God shows us how grand he is, that there is absolutely a huge gap that Moses begins to feel here. He has to take his shoes off. We won't do that here this morning because God knows some of your feet smell really bad, right? Um, but, but he takes his shoes off as a symbolic action to acknowledge the fact that God is infinitely greater, more holy, more good than he is. And because he is unclean, he can never be in the presence of God. So we see this supreme gap between God and his nature and his, and his might and his power and Moses. And Moses senses that. And there's moments in your life like when you go see something really grand and really big and you kind of get a sense of your own size and your own smallness. A couple years ago, me and my wife went to a place called Dubai and it's over in the Middle East. And uh, I've never experienced anything like it. But when we walk in, there's these huge um, sky rises and huge buildings. The tallest building in the world right now is actually there. And you you see these buildings and you feel so small and so insignificant. And that's the first thing that happens here to Moses is he realizes how much greater and how much more supreme God is than he is. It puts, kind of puts him in his proper place. He actually uses his, uh, he actually hears God say, I am who I am. God here is telling Moses who he is. In fact, the term Yahweh in saying I am who I am in this particular text is uh, God's telling us a couple different things about himself. The first thing is that uh, Yahweh, it means that God's mysterious. When you tell somebody, hey, what's your name? And they say, I am, uh, you're like, that's pretty vague, right? And God's mysterious. There's no way to figure him out. He's so much bigger than us that our brains can't comprehend him. Not only is he mysterious, uh, but it means that he is eternal and unchanging. He doesn't say, I was who I was, or I will be who I will be. He says, basically, that the actual verbiage is, I be who I be, right? God is saying that I am unchangeable. I am immutable. I am divine. And then the other thing that he says here in his meaning of his name is that he's self-existent. 
If he says that I am or I be who I be, that means that he existed before time and after time. He doesn't depend on anyone, but every single living thing, creature, plant, organism, you and me, depends on something other than ourself for life, but God does not. God is self-sustaining, and Moses is feeling the supreme gap between God and himself in this moment. And in fact, all of the religions of the world agree with this. Everyone agrees with this exact point here we see in the first six verses of Exodus chapter 3. And what separates Christianity from all of those other major world religions is the verses that follow when we see that God isn't just supremely above, but he's present among. Read with me, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. Verse 9, and now behold, the cry of my people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. That it tells us here that God isn't just supremely above us, but that he actually comes down, comes into the suffering, and he knows our suffering, and he rescues us in our suffering. This is incredibly comforting for you and me, especially when we go through difficult seasons like many of us have uh, recently, is, is you know that God has entered into the suffering, and he knows exactly what you are going through. He's present among you. And there's power in presence, isn't, isn't there? Like when I'm at home and I hear a noise in the house, um, I usually get really, really scared and nervous. Um, but when my wife is next to me, which by the way, if somebody is breaking in, she's absolutely useless. You know what I'm saying? Like she's not going to like defight anyone. She's not a ninja. She's not a black belt. She's really useless, all right? Um, but it's more comforting because there's something within me that just feels safer knowing that somebody else, if I go, somebody else is going with me, right? You know, you just, you just feel that way? Like there's, there's power in presence. And in this moment, we see that there is a power in the presence of having someone with you, having somebody that is walking through circumstances that knows who you are, knows what you're going through. When you meet somebody and you, you get to know their story, and you realize that a part of their story is something that's happened to you. Maybe they've suffered in a similar way as you. Your hearts are already connected closer um, because you both know what each other has gone through. If you've gone to the Grand Canyon, nobody else is going to be able to understand how awesome it is unless they actually went to there themselves, right? You can't just look at a picture on Google and be like, oh, the Grand Canyon's really cool. No, you got to go there. And then when you go there, you're like, wow, it took my breath away because you really see it. And when you talk to somebody else that has experienced it, that there's, there is power in presence. There's power when you realize that God enters into the suffering. And there's this wrestling that happens here that's a really interesting dialogue between Moses and, um, and God. In fact, Moses gives five objections. He has five questions for God here right after, one after the other, uh, when Moses um, hears the plan that God has for him. And this is what Moses says. Tell me if you, think in your mind if you identify with any, any of these. The first one um, uh, that we see is that Moses felt like he had a lack of credentials. Verse 10, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't have the skills to do it. Who am I? I don't have the resume, right? Maybe you feel that way this morning. Second thing, lack of content. Verse 13, what do I say to them? Like, I, I just don't know what to say, right? I'm not really smart enough. I, I don't know exactly what to say. 
Number three, lack of converts. Verse one of chapter four, he says, they won't believe me. Nobody's going to believe me. Nobody's going to follow me. I'm not going to have anybody that actually wants to, to follow me. And then the last objection he has is just simply a lack of commitment. In verse 13 in chapter four, he says, just send somebody else. <laughs> like he has all these excuses. And then you see at the end of the conversation, he really just didn't want to go to begin with, right? And we see that he is constantly, that God is present with Moses. He unfolds his plan for Moses. And Moses has all of these objections on why he is unqualified to do it. And it's interesting here that in the midst of all the objections that Moses gave, I just read those five questions that Moses had. What is God's response to Moses in that moment? Does God tell Moses, hey, Moses, you can do it. Does he say, Moses, you were in the palace and you are the one that has the best resume to do it? Does he say, Moses, here are the seven steps to success that will help you do it? Does he say, Moses, you know what? I know you stutter a little bit, but it's okay because you can. Does he give him like a pep talk? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He points him to himself. He says, if you become a worshiper of me, if you expand your view of me, if you see that I am supremely above you, but also present among you, that will awaken something in your heart and the worship of your life will outflow in obedience. And the, the, whole, the whole motivation and the power to actually move into the plan of God for your life depends first on seeing clearly who God is and who his character is. And the more that expands your heart, the more that blows your mind, the more God will change you and then eventually send you out for his purposes. Because the exodus did not depend on the competence of Moses, but on the presence of God. And this morning, God's ability to have his way in your heart, to use you, to work in you, does not depend on your giftings or personality. It depends on the presence of God. The second thing you see as you go through this, as you move past that, you see is that God gives the comfort of his presence. That God, the comfort of God's presence gives us confidence in his presence provision. This is really good. You got to, I mean, I know I'm a preacher. Sometimes I get excited about some things. This is legitimately exciting. All right, so take a look at this. Exodus chapter 4, verse 2 says this, then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? Okay, so Moses has been having this dialogue with God. He doesn't want to go. He sees all the reasons why he can't do it. He's not good enough. And then this conversation continues to unfold this way. He says, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Moses says, it's a staff. The Lord says, throw it on the ground. And then this is actually legitimately terrifying to me because my number one fear on planet earth is snakes, right? So if God were to, to like say, hey, this is going to be really cool, I would lose my mind. I cannot handle snakes. In fact, this happened to us right before we had our kid. Me and my wife were on a hike. She was like eight months pregnant. We saw a snake. I was out of there. I was like, you are, you are on your own. She couldn't even run or walk pretty much. I was like, you're on your own, right? This is legitimately a terrifying miracle for me personally, right? He throws the staff on the ground that turns into a snake. God says, pick it up by the tail. He picks it up by the tail, and it turns back into a staff. And um, it's important for us because it t- to see the, the, the incredible nature of what God was telling Moses here because a staff was really common. A wooden stick that was used by just about everybody was an incredibly common thing 
but we see that the incredibly common things in our life that we oftentimes overlook are incredible tools that can be used by God as soon as his presence enters the picture. And in your life right now, you could probably say, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough charisma, I don't have enough whatever. God wants you to know that there is power that can happen when his presence enters into the picture, okay? And that this incredibly ordinary staff is something God uses in an incredible way. Number three, we'll keep moving along. God's calling always moves us to care for others, not our own personal comfort. So not only do we see that the, the presence of God entering into the ordinary moments of our life or allowing God to use something that we can oftentimes overlook, but we also see that when you have an encounter with God, when the Spirit of God does something in you and you have an incredible, life-changing encounter with Him, you're always sent out to care for other people. Always. That in Scripture, whenever you see somebody have an encounter with God, they are almost immediately sent out to do something for other people. Look with me. Verse 10 of chapter 3. It says, Come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then in verse 12, he says, When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You see, every single one of us receives two calls from God. There's the call of salvation where he does this justification work in our heart. We're suddenly reconciled to God, but then there is always a sending out. There is always a continual sending out for the good of other people. So I remember as a kid growing up and you would have these amazing like youth retreats or you'd have a lot of people that would respond at like youth camp and they'd be like, man, God was so good. And like people would talk about all the experiences that they had with God. And then they would go back to their life and nothing changed or they didn't help anybody. But here's the true test of whether or not you've actually encountered God is whether or not you're actually going for him to help other people. That God is always sending you out and that our relationship with God is not a personal thing between us and him. It is a sending thing between us and the world. So God, when he's working in your life, He's always sending you out. He doesn't want you just to have like a cool Instagram photo and a cup of coffee and a Bible verse every morning before work. Like, no, that's not the, that, that's not the pinnacle of his relationship with you. That will always lead you. If you have powerful moments with God, if you have these moments where you feel like God is doing something in you, they will always send you out to make a difference in the life of someone else. You see it throughout Scripture all the time. And you might say, well, I'm a pretty ordinary person. I don't know how God could send me out. I don't know how God could use me. When we look at Scripture, we never see a divide between the sacred and the secular. There is not spiritual work and spiritual people and pastors and missionaries and then unspiritual people that go and grind it out and work as a mechanic or work as a plumber or work as a doctor. There's no such thing as sacred and secular. In fact, one of the things that God shows us here is that as he sends you out, the people that actually have the opportunity to do the most work, to bring the most um, healing to the world, are people that are actually being sent into everyday life. I was talking to um, someone in a church that I was at a few weeks back, and they were talking about how they you know, they just didn't feel very special. They didn't feel like God could use them, or there's something along those lines. And 
through the conversation, she began to tell me what she did for a living. And she's a nurse um, down here, actually in the city uh, of Syracuse. And as she began to to describe what she does, she actually was a nurse on the floor where they send people that they have no cure for, and they know they're entering into the last days and weeks of their life. And she began to describe what she does for a living, and it felt very ordinary for her, but as she was describing what she had done that week, I realized that she had done probably more ministry in five days than I have done in my entire lifetime as she's holding people's hands, providing hope in the midst of hopelessness, and just comforting people when their hearts are most broken. As we were talking about it, she's like, I never really saw it that way. I never really saw that this is an incredible ministry that God is using me to do and care for other people. So wherever you go this week, whatever job you have, whatever relationships you have, whatever school you have, just know That the presence of God working in your life is sending you to that specific place for a reason. The job you have is not an accident. Where you're going is not an accident. But God is sending you very specifically to make a difference in the world. In fact, there's an author by by the name of Charlie Self. Pastor David actually referred me to this book uh, last year. Um, He says this, Romans 12, 1 and 2, forever ends the unbiblical separation of the sacred and the secular, the practical and the spiritual sides of life. Sunday worship is no longer radically separate from Monday through Saturday work in the world. God in Christ has sanctified the world of work, including all facets of business and commerce. And the Holy Spirit is just as active on the factory floor as he is in the prayer meeting, if the Christian is willing to notice. So here's the deal. God is sending you. God is working in your life. That if the Spirit of God is stirring you, it will always, always send you out to care for people around you. Lastly, this morning, you see that God's calling is fulfilled through his covenant, not your courage. God's covenant is, is fulfilled. His calling is fulfilled through his covenant, not your courage. Look with me in verse 20, chapter 4. It says, So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. I just want to pause there for a second. In the beginning of this passage, whose staff was it? Moses's. Now Moses is on his way to Pharaoh to accomplish the greatest journey of Exodus the world has ever seen up until this point. And now whose staff is it? God's. He is going with the incredible confidence that the power and presence of God is going with him. Which means you today, when you leave this place and you go to work tomorrow and you go do what you got to do, that the power of God is going with you, that it, that is not your job, that is God's job, that that is not your friendships, those are God's friendships, and he wants to work through you and through the power of his presence wants to work in you, right? You see that? That's, that is a powerful truth that can change your life, but it's not enough. It's not enough for Moses to just know that he has a staff that is now God's staff, that the presence of God and the power of God is going with him. That's not enough. Because we can oftentimes think that this is like some magic wand that he can just wave and perform play. You're going to go through this in the next few chapters where the plagues come and you see all these incredible things God does to display his power. But the staff in itself is not enough. And we get a hint at this in some things that happen here in these two chapters. You see, there's this incredible language that happens where you'll see things here repeatedly said, 
that, that God says things like, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those, that's covenant language. That is family language. And the first thing that you see here that has the power to set um, Moses free is that, that, that there is a covenant relationship. And, and this, the height and importance of this is seen in verse 24. It's one of the weirdest two verses of the Bible. Honestly, I wasn't going to preach it because it was that weird. But the more I got into it, the more I realized how important it was because God was really intense about it. Right? So take a look. It's really intriguing. You're, you're going to read this and you're going to be like, well, that is weird. Verse 24, Moses is on a journey. He's going to Egypt. This is what happens to him, all right? At a lodging place, in verse 24 of chapter 4, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. So God shows up. Moses is on his journey, wants to kill Moses all of a sudden, the guy that's going to free his people. Why is God doing this? Up until this point, God has a chapter and a half where Moses is providing excuse after excuse after excuse, and God is patient and gracious with Moses. And then in this verse, he suddenly wants to put Moses to death. What's changed? What's happening? Let's lean into verse 25. It says, Then Zipporah who's Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Verse 26, So he let him alone. That's God. God let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Weird stuff, right? Why did God suddenly show up? And why was God so intent on Moses' son being circumcised? And it could be really weird, right? We, like, we don't talk about this often in church. This is some Old Testament stuff. But when you combine this action with the fact that God is using covenant language, he's saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am redeeming a people from myself, that this is a family relationship. You'll see two things that, are incredibly ha- that have the incredible power to change your life, and that is it shows us that we have sonship and sacrifice. Sonship and sacrifice. The first thing that you see in a covenant relationship is you see sonship. You see these are family terms and family language. And that Moses needed to understand that his relationship with God was not dependent on his performance and what he did, but that it was on a parental unaltering covenant relationship between him and the God of the Bible that he was worshiping. And that's important for us because almost every relationship you have in your life is a performance-based relationship. If your mechanic does not fix your car well, you will not go back to him, right? If your doctor is not a good doctor and you are always sick, you will not go back to that doctor. You will get a second opinion. If a friend of yours betrays you, you're not going to still be best friends with them, right? Because they betrayed you. There will be a separation in the relationship. Almost every relationship you have in your life is performance-based. Now, I just had a son a couple months ago. And me and my wife have these really funny, uh, they're funny to me, but I have these conversations of, I wonder what he's going to do with his life. I wonder who he's going to marry. I wonder what he's gonna, where he's going to go. And I have these joking, because you love him so much. He, he can't do anything. All he does is cry and poop and eat, and he did, really does nothing, right? He does nothing but cause headaches for us. But yet, there's a part of your heart that loves him, and a part of your heart that is awakened with love that you didn't know existed before he came into the world. And now no matter what happens for the rest of his life, when we think about it, I always joke around about how even if one day he's like wearing a orange jumpsuit with some numbers on it behind glass, 
is he still going to be my son? Yes. And will a part of my heart still love him unconditionally? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the difference is, that's my son. That is a family relationship. That is a life-altering difference between a performance-based relationship. And he needs Moses to understand that this relationship is not just the power of God going with him for him to wield and use, but that it is, a, it is a father that is unconditionally moved and worked on his behalf. And Moses could sense this and see this ultimately, but it's foreshadowing the ultimate work of Jesus. And circumcision can be funny because you always think like it's, it's weird or whatever. Um, but there's a reason why we don't do it, right? Not don't do it, but there's a reason why it's not something that God's people are ordered by God to do today, right? Just like we don't bring in small farm animals and slit their throat every Sunday. Like, we don't do that anymore. There's a reason. Um, Because God has already made the perfect sacrifice. And circumcision was an outward way for the people of God to distinguish themselves as God's people, as being in a family relationship, And we see in the New Testament that over and over again, we see that Jesus is telling us that he's come to do a work in our hearts, that there is a circumcision that takes place in our hearts. So the outside doesn't matter anymore. God actually comes in through the person and work of Jesus, actually does something in your heart that is even greater than you could begin to understand on the outside. So, so, so the, this particular act was something that God took really, really serious because it was something that defined the relationship. It was something that was a reminder of how he moved towards them. And it was a reminder of the sonship, but there was also sacrifice. And it reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there can't be a covering for sin. That actually Moses' life was saved because of the acts of another, because of the shedding of blood of another. And ultimately, what the whisper here is teaching us is that without the shedding of blood, there can't be a sacrifice for our sin. And it's actually whispering to us the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. That because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, that's why we don't light lambs on fire on Sunday morning at the end of our worship set, right? Like that would be weird because the sacrifice has already been paid. The perfect lamb has already come and he has already lived the perfect life. He's already died and he's already been risen again from the tomb so that we can have victory and resurrection in our lives. So what that means to Moses, we see that God's wrath turns away. What that means for Moses is now that he can go in, not just with the power of God and the presence of God with the staff that will perform these miracles, but he's going in with the inward security that he is in a relationship with God where the sacrifice has already been paid and that the the performance is all on God. And that he can just rest and trust in his sonship as part of God's family, as God's child, and that God is not looking to him saying that you need to perform or I will abandon you. Moses knows that this entire journey is dependent on God in his work um, in, on his behalf already. When we look at the story of Moses, we see that Moses was absolutely unqualified. He, he stuttered. He killed somebody. Right? Are you a convicted murderer? And can you speak? Right? If you can talk and you haven't killed anybody, you're like light years ahead of Moses, right? And we see that Moses had all of these failings. He was so unqualified. There's no way that God could ever use somebody like that, right? And we see that God doesn't point Moses to himself and say, hey, you can do it. I made you into this great person. You can do it. He doesn't give him a pepped up speech. He says, all you have to do is become a worshiper. 
All you have to do is look to me, and as you see how big I am, as you see how grand I am, how holy I am, as you see how allow that to change your heart, something incredible can happen in you that allows you to be sent out. So I invite you this morning, have you looked into a God that you are absolutely blown away by? A God that makes you realize that he is so intense, but also a God that comes in and is present with you. And not only do we see God's character and nature, but are you confident in his provision? Are you confident in, in the provision that he has provided with you? Are you confident in the giftings that you have? Are you confident in the age that you are? thinking that you're too old or too young for God to use you? Are you confident in the balance in your checking account that God has given you? The ordinary, below average checking account, right? Mine would be a little bit below average at this point, right? That's your staff. You have an ordinary, the ordinary things of your life. God's given you an ordinary thing But God can do something incredibly when his presence comes in and takes the ordinary and it becomes his. Will you turn that over? Will you allow God to do that and work through that? And lastly, are you you kind of praying and seeking God and you want a a fresh experience with him? Do you feel like God's working in your heart? The number one test of whether or not God is actually working in your heart is who are you actually going to serve? How are you being sent out? Are you going to work with a mindset of this is a mission field that God is sending me to, to care for and just love and meet people's needs? That God is always sending you out. If his spirit is at work, he's sending you out. And lastly, where's your security in your relationship with God? Is it based on your performance or do you recognize that you are a son of God, that because of the shedding of blood on your behalf, that you can have a secure relationship with him that's not based on your performance, and that you are now an infinitely loved child of God, that God holds firmly in your hand, that there's nothing you can do that would cause him to love you less or love you more, and that he promises you that he'll never leave you and he'll be with you because he's already acted on your behalf. You guys can just start to strum and do your thing a little bit. I told you a little bit about my baseball career, right? Uh, Didn't quite get off the ground when I was 11. When I was 20 years old, uh, I I hit puberty a little bit late, started to hit the gym, got a little better. um, And uh, my dad came to practice one day and he's like, wow, son, you're really getting good. We should definitely go talk to some people and see if there could be a potential for you to keep playing after college, right? And uh, so I was like, we looked into it. I remember there was a college showcase we went to, and a college showcase is basically a major league team comes in, and there's a group of college players that kind of, they have tests for, it's kind of like a combine, if you will, for football or something like that. And uh, it was at SUNY Cortland. There's a collection of college baseball players that they gathered. It was for the Cincinnati Reds, I think, or something like that. And um, we show up, you get there early in the morning, you're stretching out, you're looking around, you're like, oh man, there's only like, you know, 80 of us here. I could totally take these guys, you know, like, like dudes like flex, you know, when you get around, you're like, oh, oh, I could kill these guys. Right. Um, and then the tryout starts happening. You start to do whatever the coaches talk to you, do whatever. There's this one moment. Um, it was funny. My dad was there with me. He took me, 
took me to the trial. I might have been 19. I don't remember. It was just after my freshman year of college. There's this moment where um, we had gone through a couple of drills, and there was this one drill where you had to feel the ball from the outfield, and they wanted to test your arm strength to see how hard you could throw and how far you could throw. And they have these cones set up, and they tell you exactly how to do it. And um, they put numbers on you, right, so they, they know who you are, and they can give you credit for, for who you are. And, and um, I, show, I, I, remember this, I remember this vividly in my mind. Um, the guy in front of me, who had the number in front of me, fielded a ball, and in his hilarious arrogance, actually took like a 15-foot step back and touched the wall, which was just like 404 feet away, the outfield wall at Cortland State here, and threw a dime that was like 20 feet off the ground from 400 feet away to the catcher in the air. And then I looked over at my dad, and he's laughing because he knows I can't do it. <laughs> my dad's laughing. He's like, <laughs> and then I get up, and I throw it with all my might and all my power, and it goes bounce, 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 dribble to the catcher, right? I'm, I will say it was online. It just took like five minutes too long to get there, right? <laughs> After the drill's over, I don't even finish the trout. I take the number off. I go over. My dad puts his arm around me. We're walking to the car. He says, let's go to breakfast. We go to breakfast. We're sitting at Bob Evans in Cortland. And over a meal, God, he says, you know, God's got, God's got more plans for you, you know. He's got different plans for you. This isn't a big deal. And he begins to talk me through it. And I realized that my relationship with my dad in that moment wasn't dependent on how good I was or how, how I did. I was his son. We were eating biscuits and gravy and eggs, and he said, you know what? At the end of the day, you're still my son. God's got better plans for you. That's not saying doing that would be bad, but, you know, it's just different, right? So let's just trust and rest in that. And there's something, you know what that does to your heart as a son, to know when you failed or you're not good enough or not, you're just way not good enough, like it was like shockingly not good enough, and yet to still have your dad put his arm around you and walk you to the car and say, you know what? It's going to be all right. I love you no matter what. God's got plans for your life. And that's what God's doing here to Moses. Moses knows, I've killed somebody. I can't talk. God is asking me to perform the biggest exodus of his people. Over a million people are going to just literally walk across the desert of like thousands of miles. No big deal, right? Like this is a, and, oh yeah, and there's like a sea and plagues in the way, right? It's like, it's like impossible. But yet he knows that God comes up to him and God puts his arm around him and says, you know what? You have my staff. The power of my presence is going with you. I have made a way through my sacrifice to secure this relationship. And that regardless of what you think about yourself, you can trust and rest that I will see you through to the end. When God talks in this text, he doesn't say, I'm going to take you to Pharaoh and you're going to do your best. He says, no. He says, I will bring you out. There's a definitive statement and he can rest in the fact that God will work. God will do because he is acting and loving on his behalf. Would you stand with me this morning?